We're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Today, I am joined as uh, President Biden wraps up his second formal press conference on the eve of his second year in office by my colleague, Eddie Scary, who is the DC columnist for us at The Federalist, also an author. Eddie, where can people go to uh, get your books? Um, you can find them on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or just go to eddiescary.com. And I have links there, Eddie Scary with two R's. <laughs> That's right. All right. So Eddie, the president is still speaking. I'm, I'm literally listening to it in my other ear and I'm listening to you in, in this ear. Um, but I wanted to get your reaction to the bulk of the speech in the press conference that we've heard so far. He started off with a speech sort of touting, um, and I think with some very questionable claims uh, that he touting these these victories from his time in office and took a smattering of questions then from entirely mainstream media reporters, legacy media reporters. I think he took one from News Nation. Um, what was your reaction to to what just played out? I mean, honestly, I I was a little bit off, but I called exactly what was going to happen coming up um, because there was a story in the Washington Post this morning that was just all about um, the crises that Biden is facing and how it's just quoting all these Democratic officials and uh, White House officials, administration officials saying, well, no, it's just it's a messaging problem. And we haven't properly explained to people what exactly um, his accomplishments accomplishments are and how great his accomplishments are and how much he's done for the American people and how he's just kind of back on his heels because of COVID and uh, yada, yada, yada. But I thought that we would probably get a story um, from, you know, the New York Times or something coming up, maybe the Washington Post again, about how while well, the White House is recalibrating and they're going to send, they're going to make sure that Biden goes on the road and we got to get him out more in front of people. Um, but he said it himself. He said he did it during his press conference where he's saying people don't understand uh, what was in uh, the the two major legislative accomplishments he has had. They don't understand how good this is going to make their lives and how they're, they're, (laughs) they're so much better off now already. They just don't know. It has to be explained. So he said, he said, I'm going to go on the road uh, to explain this. You're going to see me a lot on the road in the coming days. And just, I, I, I mean, I, I, it was just so predictable. And I, I think that, whoever the people are at the White House who think that this is a messaging problem and convincing the president and I guess Kamala Harris that this is just a messaging problem. I don't really care one way or the other, other than maybe I care about the country, but those people need to be fired because that is not the problem. Messaging is not the problem. The policies are the problem. Yeah, well, it gets into, so I I had this moment when I was listening to the speech and he was blaming Republicans for being obstructionists. Um, And he talked, he said, I like Mitch McConnell, um, but he said, I couldn't have anticipated that the Republican Party's top priority would have been uh, stopping everything that I want to do, which is, of course, laughable. That is what every political party, opposition party does when another president is in office. And it's certainly what his own party did with the entire movement called resistance uh, (laughs) during the last president's tenure. But he said, you know, he just couldn't anticipated that. And I was like, this sounds exactly like 
the Obama administration and Joe Biden's talking points during the Obamacare debate when the public was like really um, against what was being sort of rammed through in Washington, whether or not they like it now. Um, at the time, there was so much public opposition to it. And Democrats said, you know, this is a messaging problem and this is a problem of obstructionism. And then Biden himself made that parallel explicitly. He said, it reminds me of the Obamacare debate when we passed the bill and I, you know, implored President Obama to get out there and tell people what we had done. And he actually sort of blamed Barack Obama for not doing that, saying, you know, he he said, we just have too much stuff to do. And, and Biden then took the credit for having such a brilliant idea. Did it remind you of something really similar, Eddie, and the, the same sort of lines from the Obama administration? Yes, no, exactly. And I, I, I think to myself, he, he said, I could have never expected that Republicans would have been so um, resistant. And yet he was there. He was vice president. He was in the White House in the Obama years when, just as you were saying, any party um, that's in the minority is is, is going because they just they just believe in different things. So, of course, they're going to oppose um, his major legislative, the items on his agenda. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that was, I guess, on the one hand, I would say disingenuous. And then on the other, I mean, we're just looking at a president who, as we're watching him, I just all I can think of is just like his brain, like browning over like every single day and just like <laughs> this, like yeah. the decay that's going on there. Um, so I guess that's also a possibility. Um, but again, I think this as as he was saying about getting getting uh, i guess another another parallel would be during the um the 2016 campaign when Hillary Clinton's numbers were basically deadlocked with um with Trump's you had these stories in the New York Times and Washington Post where um different political operatives within within the Hillary campaign were were telling them well, we're going to try and show her softer side. We're going to get her in front of the press to show her softer side. We're going to make her more available as if that is the problem. I mean, if if there is a problem, as we're seeing too much of these people, we're seeing too much Anthony Fauci on TV. We're seeing too much Kamala Harris. Um, Jen Psaki is just absolutely... Um, <laughs> I, I guess I'll just use the word unlikable. Um, and then <laughs> if, if, if the, if Were you going to say shrill? <laughs> if the fix is... Um, we're going to put the president himself and he can explain it. No, I mean, people people feel and see what's happening at their grocery stores, at their gas stations. They see the numbers of COVID. He actually said during his um, during his press conference that we're in a better place than we've ever been with COVID. And then I just went to just just real quick to the New York Times, their COVID page that they update every, basically every single day about what the case counts are and what the deaths are, the hospitalizations, where where the hotspots are. And the summary is absolutely devastating. You could never, if you would have told voters in 2020 that in, come 2022, this would be the summary of where we are with COVID. I, I don't think that they would have, that, that there would have been this great enthusiasm to get rid of Trump because what you're reading looks like exactly, it's worse than what we were reading in, in 2020 because actually it said that the hospitalizations are at the worst they've ever been. There's still like 1,500 people dying every single day. Um, the, 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 the the case the daily average of case counts is I think now we're at like quadruple what it what it was at its highest point under Trump I mean for him to say that we're in a better place um, than we've ever been I mean it's pretty shocking I mean but the answer is we need to get him out there in front of people and to talk and explain actually how good things really are it's just kind of bizarre it really is. 
Well, and I think that was really the rationale for the press conference. And, and we should and we will, because it's at a specialty, um, get into the uh, the media question here. And I have clips pulled, so we'll we'll literally get into that. Um, but before we do, I want to, uh, Eddie, also <laughs> point out that pr- President Biden has had what. So t- to your point, he's not he doesn't do a lot of talking back and forth to the press. He doesn't do a lot of appearances, but this, that they are trotting him out now on the eve of his, uh, his, his inaugural uh, anniversary. It's really interesting because it reminds me of Glenn Youngkin and the way that there was this fleeting moment of self-reflection on CNN in the hours after Glenn Youngkin shocked everybody on their airwaves by winning this red state of this blue state as a red governor. Um, they had this fleeting moment of self-awareness saying, maybe we're doing something wrong. Maybe we're doing something wrong. Just like, you know, those early hours of the morning after Trump won in 2016. And then suddenly the next day they had clung to a new narrative, which is that the country is too racist, that it's a, it's a, the Democrats have a messaging problem. They, their Republicans are just so awful and it does does seem to be in the speech, which, by the way, is still going on. I am continuing to listen to it in my other ear. Um, they they cannot concede that they are not virtuous at every step of the way, that they are not superheroes. It's just that the country, as Paul Begala said, Democrats don't have a leadership problem. They have a followers problem, um, mm-hmm. that they, they are not in the wrong. And I think that's what happened in the messaging of, of Biden's speech today. I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, there was a part where I was so ready for him to say, I was shocked that he didn't say it, but he said, he led into it about just how, he said something like the best way to to fix all the problems that we're seeing with the economy and the, the supply shortage and and all of that, I thought for sure he was going to say is to get your booster and to get mm-hmm. vaccinated because I, I think that that, that is something that, that is a running thing with this administration, theme with this administration, with Democrats, with the media, Whereas the reason why this pandemic is, is, is enduring and we're not seeing um, a complete turnaround, the complete turnaround that he promised is it's actually your fault. It's actually your fault that you haven't gotten a vaccine. It's actually your fault you haven't gotten four shots at this point um, over, over a vaccine that we, that we were led to believe was you know, close to 100% effective. Um, but he, he ended up saying, well, no, it's because we haven't passed my Build Back Better plan. <laughs> Um, that is just uh, it's it it would compound the problem by I think like fourfold or something. The problem is not that the government isn't spending enough money. The reason why we are where we are is because the government spent so much money. We had trillions of dollars spent under um, President Trump, which was for the purpose of keeping people home and out of work. And I understand that initially in the initial months of the pandemic, it was we need to figure this out and see like how do we treat this? How do we understand this? Um, but when we when we got to a year into it and we realized who this was affecting and um, what the best courses were to to treating it for people, that excuse kind of went out the window. And yet uh, Biden said, well, no, I still want to I still want my bite at the apple, which was to dump, what, two trillion more dollars into the economy. And now the, the, the answer is more welfare, which is multi trillions dollars more. Well, that a really cool inflation, I'm sure. Um, so. You know, just this is these these endless excuses that are that never really seem to make any sense. It's it's either we're not spending enough money, or it's 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 your fault. It's your for, your fault for not understanding um, how great things are and how good of a situation we're actually in. It's just kind of um, it's absurd. <laughs> 
Yeah. And so he's he's saying to Peter Ducey right now as we're talking, uh, fire away, you always ask me the nice questions. Um, and on that, given exactly what Eddie just said, I think is a good segue into playing the first question that Zeke Miller of the Associated Press asked of the pre- during the press conference. He was the first reporter Joe Biden called on. He started with a scripted list of uh, reporters to call on, almost all of whom were from legacy media outlets, NBC. I think he called on News Nation, um, but that was really the only non-sort of legacy outlet, uh, New York Times, Associated Press. Um, and now he's calling on, on Ducey, as we just mentioned. But here's what Zeke Miller asked right away. You mentioned your progress on COVID-19. I'd like to ask you about some of the other issues uh, facing your presidency. Uh, one of the defining challenges you face in the coming months is how to deliver on your promise to Americans on issues like immigration reform, gun control, voting rights, climate change. All of those right now are facing stiff, united opposition from Republicans on Capitol Hill. How far are you willing to go to achieve those promises that you made to the American people? So as you can see there, that video was uh, pulled by Newsbusters, and it's it's kind of interesting um, because Newsbusters uh, pulled this this moment from Zeke Miller. And what did you think of the question, Eddie? I could go either way on it. I well, I like the word um, over promise. Um, there was another word. He, he Zeke Miller, the AP reporter, asked Biden if he overpromised to the American people, to the voters. Um, there was another word that they used to use about that um, in the very recent past, which was "Did you lie? <laughs> Did you lie to the American people?" That that word was very in vogue up until recently. I don't know what happened, but um, I, I I will credit one of the reporters in the room who. Um, Zeke Miller right there, he just said Republicans are, are completely not going to move on this stuff. But there was another reporter, I forget who it was, so sorry to her in advance, but she said, um, you can't even get some in your own party to do the things that you promised. Right. And I thought that was, one, a really good point, two, an obvious point to make. Um, so this whole thing, this whole thing of using that as an excuse is that it's Republicans and Republicans. No, he can't even get... Um, people within his own party, both in the House. Let's not forget about the House. I think that that was an allusion to um, the Senate. Uh, but there are people, the two senators in the Senate, but there are people in the House, Democrats in the House, who do not want to vote uh, with some of what Joe Biden is proposing. So that excuse of it's it's Republicans' fault or it's, it's the voters' fault for not understanding, um, all of that just kind of goes out the window when you recognize, as that reporter did, to her credit again, that there are people within his own party who do not support this stuff. He's currently uh, squabbling with Philip Wegman of Real Clear Politics, um, who once again pressed him, as did uh, actually Kristen Welker of NBC, while we're talking about the performance of the press, um, which we should talk about over the course of the last year. Um, and just today, he's he's sparring with, with Wegman right now on this, this question of, talking about George Wallace, talking about um, Jefferson Davis and his speech in Atlanta last week, where he said, do you, and we know John Meacham uh, wrote that according to playbook, to Politico playbook, the implication is that you are with the side of awful racists. Biden tried to clean that up when Welker first asked him the question by saying, um, I am, I, I was saying, if you don't, if you don't vote with them, you're complicit, not that you are a racist. But of course, that's not at all all what he said. Um, so 
Eddie, what do you make of um, Biden sort of trying to trying to clean that up in, in that excuse? A lot of people look back on that moment. I saw a lot of like never Trump people saying that was a real low point for his presidency or arguing that it was a low point for his presidency. Um, but what do you th- do you think the White House understands that? I admittedly did not see the speeches that both Joe Biden and the vice president gave on this on the uh, voting stuff. I guess what was that on MLK Day? Um, I did not see those speeches, but I know that they come off of the speech he gave about January 6th. They, they, they came almost back to back. And it sounds to me like they were basically the same type of speech. And what they're trying to do, what the White House obviously is trying to do is um, hit those hit those tried and true buttons with the media, which is white supremacy, Trump, racism, um, white nationalism, all those all those things that were the the, the boogeyman of, of the last four years or I guess five years, um, and and think that that's going to win them some points and and turn up their base and make people excited and get them some good press. And I suppose that it it serves that purpose, but again, the press, as corrupt as it is, the national media, as corrupt as it is. Um, they can't deny the things that their viewers, even the the, further, the farthest left among them, what they feel and what they see. They 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 can't just pay attention to January sixth for twenty for three hundred and sixty five <laughs> days a year. You understand? So they do have to talk about well, what's with this inflation? And even even though every now and then you get a you get a Paul Krugman <laughs> column about how great inflation is or how things actually aren't. As bad as things are, they're actually good. Um, that that can't be the case year round. People understand that. No, no, this is really bad, and even the Rachel Maddow viewers understand that. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Um, and so I actually, for for anyone listening, just took the speech out of my ear because the president just announced he was going to go for another twenty minutes. Um, and and this leads me to actually another question, Eddie, because in addition to sort of evaluating the performance of the press, which I think we're probably both in agreement is is mixed. Um, I want to talk about the performance of the president because that's always at the front of my mind whenever Joe Biden speaks. In fact, sometimes I just need to read transcripts because it makes me so uncomfortable and sort of nervous for the country to watch him talk. Um, And I'm not saying that I haven't had uh, reactions like that from previous presidents, but in this particular case, it's it's uncomfortable because it seems... he seems unwell. Um, yeah, and, and I'm not joking. I hold my breath when I watch him talk because I'm scared. Like, and I'm not like that's not me being funny. Like, I'm just like I realize that I'm not breathing. <laughs> right. And and if he so if he goes for another 20 minutes, that's going to put him almost at two hours. Um, the bulk of which would be questions. And I actually have been surprised by his performance. Not to say that it's been great. He's been sort of stuttering and having very typical moments of awkward and uncomfortable silence um, and and all of that. But for him to go this long, I don't know the last time we've really seen him, um, you know, talk for this long, especially without a script. Um, What did you think? Well, when he initially came out and I, I, it's, I have it on the TV, but I can't hear it like you like you were hearing it still. So I'm not even sure of the latest over the last 20 minutes or so. But um, he came out and give and, you know, ha- seemed to have a lot more energy than what he usually has and what you might see him on another day. And that clearly is another thing where he was he was amped up by his White House team saying this is what you need to do. You need to come out with energy. And, and um, there was a CNN correspondent who just before the speech uh, he was on Jake Tapper's show, and Jake, Jake Tapper said, "Well, what are we, we going to expect from the president today?" 
And the CNN correspondent said, well, uh, Democrats and White House officials expect him to expect this speech to be about reclaiming the narrative. And I guess the 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 mindset among them is that if if we can put on a good show, a good performance and make him look like he's um, in any way in command of all of the things that are happening, which he has command and they're all his fault. Um, but if they, if he can, if he can look strong, um, then this will somehow help. No, it's not going to help. People aren't, people aren't stupid. They, they, they can <laughs> see everything and no, no matter what good of a speech, if you're spending more at the grocery store, I mean, I'm, I am a single male. I live alone and yet going to the grocery <laughs> store, I see this stuff. Like I go and I spend, I just spent $40 on like six packs of ramen and a, and a gallon of milk. Like, hashtag pretty, prayers for stuffy. Eddie. Get this trending. Hashtag prayers for Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All thoughts and prayers are with you, Eddie. Um, As our listeners know, we are unrepentant followers of celebrity trends and celebrity news at Federalist Radio Hour, but recently I learned something new about an under-the-radar investment that some of the ultra-wealthy have been quietly funneling their money into for generations, and as you can imagine, it really piqued my interest. Famous folks are, of course, known for touting their art collections, but you no longer have to be a coastal elite to invest in one of the oldest asset classes of all time, because Masterworks is making adding art to your portfolio possible. Masterworks gives investors, just like you, access to the asset class that had low correlation to the S&P 500 over the past two decades. Masterworks even achieved a 32% and 31% net return for investors based on the sale of a Banksy and condo piece in 2020 and 2021, respectively. Now, you don't have to be a hedge fund manager to invest in multi-million dollar paintings from iconic artists like Picasso, Warhol, and Banksy. And Masterworks has results. They've sold two paintings that netted their investors a 30% plus IRR in 2020 and 2021. Even better, our listeners get priority access to their newest offerings. Simply go to masterworks.io slash federalist to get started. That's masterworks.io slash federalist. Before deciding to invest, carefully review the important disclosures at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. You know, yeah. And so I think when he was reading his script, I think he was actually worse than when he was off the cuff. But um, he his conversations with Peter Ducey of Fox News and, and Phil Blegman of, of Real Clear Politics, um, he he really did get fired up. And I don't know that he made a lot of sense. He, he sort of yelled at uh, Phil to go back and look at what he said in Atlanta when he had been, of course, quoted perfectly accurately. Um, and that's the this, this side of him where he he sort of vacillates between stuttering and being angry and i'm not sure of the strategy of saying listen we have a lot of cleanup to do on the eve of his first anniversary um of his inaugural 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 anniversary his approval ratings are at very low. I mean, we're talking around 40%. Um, we're talking lower levels than uh, his predecessors at this point in office. He uh, has record inflation. He's dealing with uh, a lot of bad stuff um, and bad stuff that's very easily and I think rightfully in many cases blamed on him. And so their strategy was to put him in front of the press for almost two hours. Um, do you think this is going to ultimately affect the the president's uh, the public's perspective of the president in a, a good way or a bad way? 
I think that it just looks worse and worse, and, and, and it's so obvious what they're doing to try and change the subject off of things that, you know, if this was a period of time where COVID was on the decline, which it was for the, from, from, I think, basically when he was inaugurated, it was on a steep downward trajectory. If it had stayed doing that, and even maybe just flatlined, and we could have got it around the, what is it, the 10,000 cases a day or whatever uh, the latest lie from Anthony Fauci is about when we can go back to normal. Um, if it had remained at the 10,000 cases per day, um, if inflation hadn't got it out of control, if the Afghanistan stuff hadn't happened, if energy prices weren't insane, um, yeah, you could probably get some extra mileage off talking about January 6th and Donald Trump and white supremacy. Um, and, but the opposite has happened. You you have the out of control inflation, you have the skyrocketing energy prices, you have um, the, 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 again, quadruple the number of cases that happened under their peak um, under Trump. And yet he's still trying to change the subject. The White House is still trying to change the subject and make it about January 6th and white supremacy. Well, people are thinking, I assume I, I would I would take a, a really good bet <laughs> that people say, yeah, those things are bad. But when are we going to talk about how much money I'm spending and how I how I'm not getting I'm not getting ahead at all. In fact, I'm falling way behind on on, on all this stuff. And a lot of it, the majority of it, I think, has to do with the pandemic. And yet you're the person who said you'd get it under control. And, and that has not been the case at all. Um, I When people, you know, that mileage, it's completely ran out. The mileage of January 6th and talking about Donald Trump and white supremacy. And the more they want to talk about it and more the more they, they're trying to change the subject, the resistance, people feel that. And they're like, why aren't you giving the speech about what your plan is to address these things that you're supposed to be addressing? Donald Trump is gone. He's not in the picture anymore. He's down in Florida sending his emails all day, but we don't see those. The, when are you going to do the things that you said you were going to do? And the, the answer from the White House is, well, let's put you in front and, and, and get you angry talking about January 6th. No, that's just not going to fly. So I was wondering uh, what the headline would be from this. I went over to the Drudge Report. Drudge's headline right now is about Putin's war games. That's what it said. And then it says Biden predicts incursion. And interestingly, I did think that his convert, what Biden said about uh, Vladimir Putin and the situation between Russia and Ukraine would be the headline um, because he did predict, he did indeed predict an incursion um, as Tom Rogan did on this podcast last week, as um, analysts have predicted, but coming from the president of the United States, it obviously carries more weight. And and it made people nervous in a way that reminds me of the way people got nervous. Um, people who defend Biden got nervous when Donald Trump would sort of riff on foreign policy. Um, but it, it seemed in this case that Biden's imprec imprecision um, in discussing his relationship with Putin, um, he kept pausing awkwardly and saying, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, how to say this in public, how I can say this in public. It was really weird. Um, Eddie, did you see echoes of this, this sort of maybe double standard or echoes that maybe add up to a double standard um, in the way that Biden handled those questions and that issue? Um, I would say that the, the part that most stuck out to me during that portion, the Russia portion, Ukraine and all that of his press conference was when he said something like, um, Russia has never has never had the sanctions on them as under my administration. And I thought that's something Trump would say. And it was it was very it, and I know that Trump there were tough sanctions on Russia under Trump. And yet still we, we, we haven't really seen a change of action on behalf of Russia. So I would wonder where is the press in terms of um, 
the hair on fire over Russia that we saw for so many years and the the um, lack of the, they felt there was a lack of confrontation with Russia that there should be basically a war another war um, are they going to talk about Biden in that same way thus far they have not and things are getting way worse in terms of Russia escalating the tensions with U Ukraine um, so yeah it would be nice if the press uh, I don't want to see another war I hope that that's not the case I I, I think that that's the last thing we need um, but you know, if you're going to handle both situations the same way, Biden is not doing very good when it comes to Russia. Yeah, and the, I do think that that maybe the headline that comes out of all of this, and it does show to the last question I asked you, uh, the the lack of wisdom I think in the strategy of saying, well, let's just get the president out there um, and and put him in front of reporters for two hours um, to maybe clean some of this stuff up and to prove that he's willing to to talk to the press because that was starting to build questions about his his willingness to take questions from the press was really starting to build. Um, so. Eddie, do you have, uh, a, I guess, a take on uh, ultimately why the past year for Joe Biden, he's so, I mean, this is actually a, a true fact. Jill Biden has done more press conferences than Joe Biden this year. I think it's 23 to 22, or maybe it's, maybe it's, uh, maybe she's just one behind him. Either way, it's really close. Um, and that's way, that puts him way below his, I think, three last predecessors. Um and yet today he's out there for two hours. So what? How do we sort of square the circle? Is is this media strategy um, coherent? What does it mean? Um, no, I think that it, it is these these. Um, I had a tweet about this earlier. It's these these uh, co communications majors who never had a real job outside of um, camp political campaigns, and they saw on some show where you well tell the person get out in front of this. So we just need to put you in front of in front of the public more and that and that's the advice that uh, i mean it's the same thing that goes to that, that these companies do these like you know the big companies nike um where it's you know oh well i you know they have these these young young um people working and running things who they see on social media oh people are posting black squares we've got to we've got to do that now and that that will change things and that will make things better um, it's never it's never a good idea. It's usually never the person in this case, Joe Biden. It's never really their choice because, you know, you would have to understand this is not a messaging issue. And yet they seem to want to believe this is a messaging issue. The problems that we're seeing happening with inflation at the border, um, with covid, with the lockdowns, with schools, all of that stuff is policy related. And the problem is the problem that the, the, that this administration has is that they're doing the things that they said and they're getting the outcomes that would come from the things they said <laughs> to do to, to not have those outcomes means to do the opposite but to do the opposite means to ch completely change the promises they made and the things they said and that is is just why they can't do it because then it looks either like they're lying or they don't have they weren't confident in the things they said or they were just completely wrong they don't want to do that so you know if there was a real if there was any real action from this administration and from this president to um, see a different result than what we're seeing it wouldn't be about getting joe biden on the road as he said during his, his press conference i'm going to be out on the road explaining to people how great things really are no it would be completely changing and in fact doing the opposite of the biggest policy decisions that he's made
We also saw something I think major from him, which was Biden saying that the next election, election um, and he used this word twice um, when pressed by reporters, could easily be illegitimate. Um, and those were in response to questions. I don't think he, he said that of his own volition, but when pressed on whether the next election could be illegitimate, he said, yeah, it could easily be illegitimate. He said um, it the increase in the prospect of being illegitimate is in proportion to not being able to get these reforms <laughs> passed. Um, so not only is there, you know, you, you being George Wallace on the line, um, there's also you being a an authoritarian um, for opposing huge expansions um, of voting. And that's you know, another sort of, he's going down the exact same road that he did. Um, but Eddie, we're a year in. Um, my question for you, looking back on, on moments like this voting reform, which does kind of seem, seem dead, Build Back Better seems dead. Um, inflation is up. His approval rating is at a uh, a low um, and a historic low, uh, and by some measures. So, what is the uh, where does Biden stand as we wrap up here, going into year two? Where does he stand? I mean, well, we already knew that. First of all, I'm uh, glad he he is standing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we already knew, and and just history tells us that. Um, the opposing party, the minority party, takes back Congress, takes back the House at the very least. Um, the what we what I did not foresee was the opening that Donald Trump sees, which is to be, I think, in history, the first president to lose a second term but could possibly come back and win a second win a second term after he's been voted out of office. Um, I I did not foresee that opening taking place. But I do believe there is an opening there. I think he sees it. I think that's why he's kind of everywhere, why Donald Trump is everywhere. And for that to have happened, and for 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 the last president, Donald Trump, to have gone out the way he did under the circumstances he did, there should never, I can't imagine having ever saw, ever seen an opening for him. But things are just so bad. Things are so bad under Joe Biden. Um, and things that were, I believe, and I think I could prove it completely avoidable. Um, but all the things that he has done has just created this massive opening for even someone like Donald Trump to come back and say, <laughs> I can do this and, and it be real. Like, I think he could do it. Um, <laughs> I think that 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 is the state of Joe Biden's second going into his second year. <laughs> and it takes us back full circle to the uh, Zeke Miller question that we talked about a couple of times, which I think overpromising is a, a very fair criticism of Biden, but it's a surface level criticism of Biden. It's it's very much the sort of like media criticism of Biden that this is the worst they can muster. And it is bad. He did overpromise. He talked a huge game on COVID. Um, but the reason he wasn't able to deliver. It's not just because, oh, wow, this stuff is really hard, it turns out. Uh, it's because there was a failure of leadership. Um, and, and to wrap up, I'll read a tweet from our senior editor, our fearless senior editor, Molly Hemingway, who said, we need so much more diversity of thought in the White House press corps. Having roughly four sane people and a room of delusional people is not helping anyone, not the country, 
but not even the Democratic Party, um, the Democrat Party, as, as Molly wrote. And I think that's uh, a, a good place to leave this, study. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you agree with that. And we tried to do two things here to, to criticize or analyze Biden and to uh, analyze the media. So to do a little uh, criticism on both levels. Um, and uh, my apologies for stuttering through some of it, um, sort of like the president. I was trying to listen and trying to bring everybody the, the most up-to-date news about uh, what the, the president was saying in this conference that went way longer than I certainly expected it to. Um, I think, judging by Eddie nodding, then, then he expected it to go uh, as well. <laughs> so we appreciate everybody tuning in. Um, Eddie, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Of course. Well, you've been listening to another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor here at the Federalist. We will be back soon with more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray. <laughs> <laughs>